So Acts 16, 6 through 24. And just by way of recap, uh, last week, if you were with us last week or you listened to the sermon online, we looked at the importance of what I called cultural sensitivity for Christians. And I defined that, hopefully, uh, in, in the sermon last week. But cultural sensitivity is an important aspect of being a Christian. It's important for the church to understand the culture of people both inside the church and outside in our culture around us. So that was cultural sensitivity. This week, folks, we're going to look at uh, the importance of another kind of sensitivity, specifically spiritual sensitivity, a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, especially when it comes to following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's crucial for being a follower of Christ, being a disciple. And uh, I thought I'd kick things off by just telling you that last week uh, for the 4th of July, We do this every year, but our family uh, went down to the fireworks extravaganza downtown on on, uh, the shores of, what is it called now? Is it Lady Bird Lake? That seems so strange to even say that. Town Lake. We were downtown Lake, and we were on the shores watching the extravaganza, and there's about a a million people there, and uh, we all parked in the same parking garage, it seems, and so we finally, afterwards, we finally got out of the parking garage, and we were on Barton Springs uh, right there. You probably have been down there yourselves. But we had to make a decision. Were we going to turn left on Barton Springs and head east, or were we going to turn right on Barton Springs? And now, if you've ever been in that mess of traffic and road closures, you know that it's very important that you make the correct decision when you're turning out of the parking lot there, because there's no going back. Once you go that direction, you're, you're done, until you get to a highway somewhere. Um, so anyway, we, we had this option, and, and from where I sat, I was looking left going east, and it looked clear. I mean, I thought, this is the way to go. I'd just head left here. But our na- the sweet little lady on our navigation app uh, wanted me to go right. And I looked right, and it's just a, a, a string of taillights uh, and, and road closure blockades and everything. And so I thought, man, this cannot be the way. And I just assumed that the navigation app, the software wasn't up to date, that they didn't have the special event information, the road closure information. So I was assuming that they just had it wrong, right? But at the last second, I went ahead and decided to turn right into the the, the parking lot, it seemed. Uh, And I'm really glad I did uh, follow those directions because as it turned out, within just a couple minutes when the light changed, we were well on our way to the highway and then we were heading north on the highway home. And I think had I gone left, we, we probably wouldn't have gotten home till the next day, is, is how I was judging it on the time. But, you know, as fallen, as fallen human beings, we wrestle with being skeptical about directions that we're given. And this is much more significant than driving directions from our navigation apps. Uh, spiritually speaking, we as fallen creatures... Even those of us who have new life in Christ, those of us who have bowed the knee to Christ and, and the Holy Spirit is, is indwelling us and we have a new life, we're new creatures in Christ, even still our old nature, our sin nature, still causes us at times to doubt directions. And spiritually speaking, we tend to doubt the Lord's leading in our lives. Usually, and you know this as well as I do, because we tend to think we have a, a much better perspective on things. We're sort of the boots on the ground. We know what's happening in our circumstances And so we take it for granted that we just have a a better perspective on things than God does, surely, right? Uh, Based on what turns out to be a very limited circumstance. I mean, in the situation with the fireworks, I mean, I could see two blocks going east. I had no idea what was beyond that, right? 
And yet I thought based on this limited information, my limited perspective, I knew where I was going and I knew how to get there. And we do that with the Lord too. And that is why today's passage I think is so important for each of us to really understand. Today's big idea is that the Lord is always leading us. As Christians, we are disciples. We are followers of Christ. He's always leading us. And so we must be prepared to follow. And today we're going to unpack from the life of Paul, what it looks like to be prepared to follow and what it looks like to follow and walk behind the Lord, be sensitive to the Spirit. So as we see Paul following the Lord in today's passage, it's going to raise two important questions, and that's going to be how we break down the sermon today. Two important points of application for us as Christians. The first one is, how might the Lord be leading us? How might he be leading us? We're going to talk about that. And then the second point of application for us is where might the Lord be leading us? How might he be leading us? Where might he be leading us? And folks, if we can better understand how and where the Lord leads Paul and his companions in today's passage, then we are going to be better equipped, better prepared to follow the Lord in our own lives with spiritual sensitivity, that is a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and a sense of security and trust no matter where we find ourselves in this life, no matter what our path looks like or what destination we end up at. So, first of all, how might the Lord lead us? Let's look at that. And I'm going to put this as simply as I can. The Lord can either lead us negatively or positively. All right, what do I mean by that? Negatively, the Lord might lead us away from certain places. That's what I mean by negatively. He says, don't go there, or he keeps us from going there, okay? And we see this happening in in verses 6 through 8. I'll just reread it quickly. It says, they, that's Paul and Silas and Timothy, uh, they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region. By the way, I always feel sorry for, like, Hannah or whoever has to read these. Like, I don't get real snooty on pronunciation on all these crazy Greco-Roman cities, so I'm just going to give it my best shot. You do the same, okay? Don't feel bad. Uh, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word, the gospel, in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, did not allow them. And passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So, so twice in these three verses, we see the Lord doing what? Closing doors. Uh, pretty clearly, it seems. And, and, and Ephesus in Asia would have been an incredibly strategic place to go start sharing the gospel. And we see this later in the life of the early church, right? Ephesus does eventually become uh, a, a very strategic place for, for evangelism. In fact, such that, that they, they say about the Christians that Everyone in the region had heard the gospel. Now, that's hyperbole, but the idea is that Ephesus is so well connected to all these other towns and villages, and it's a port city with access to the Mediterranean uh, Sea and to various trade routes, trade routes, trade routes, to various trade routes. And so I'm sure for Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're like, this is where we need to go. This makes sense. This is a strategic place to go. Um, and it would be someday, but, but here, in the context of what's happening right here in the history of the early church, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And similarly, it would have made great sense to go into Bithynia. Okay, closed door to Asia. Well, let's go uh, north to Bithynia. And Bithynia, um, you've probably, if you have heard uh, the, the Chalcedon, where the Chalcedonian 
council was, where they clarified some things in the early church. Like in the next couple hundred years, Bithynia is going to be an absolute uh, uh, place of importance in the early church. This is where the leaders are going to gather. This is where Nicaea is. This is where uh, they have access to the Black Sea region. So again, in our human computations, we think, oh, well, we can't go to Asia and Ephesus, so let's go up to Bithynia. But again, it says the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do that. And folks, Luke doesn't, doesn't tell us exactly how the Spirit closed these doors. It might have been a prophetic revelation. It might have been something else. We don't know. But that's not the point. What is the point? The point that Luke is trying to convey here is that the Lord was leading this missionary band, this apostolic band, by steering them away from what seemed like good options at the time, in that time and space. Now let's flip it over and look at positively, positively, the Lord also leads us towards certain places. And this is just two sides of the same coin. If he's going to lead us away from these places, he's going to lead us toward this other place. So we see that in verses 9 through 12. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, that's northern Greece, um, A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, That's save us. That's the idea of salvation. When he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So after setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were spending some days in this city. So here we see God once again using a vision to connect on the one hand his witnesses, his missionaries, Christians, image bearers, his representatives. To on the other hand, people that needed to hear the good news about the personal work of Jesus Christ. People that needed salvation. And through a vision, as we've already seen several times, I mean, think about um, connecting Peter with Cornelius in Acts 10, connecting Paul or Saul at the time with uh, Ananias uh, earlier in, in, in the story of Acts. So God has already used visions to, to send people certain places to certain people. And we see that again here. And again, in the context of Scripture, help us isn't like, hey, we're having some problems with our local authorities, you know, or hey, are we having some economic recession like it means salvation it means save us bring salvation to us so having passed by so many closed doors and can you imagine paul who's such a go-getter going ah we can't go to ephesus in asia ah we can't go to bithynia so after passing all these closed doors that the lord was closing paul now sees an open door for the gospel and folks he wastes no time in walking through that door and proceeding to that destination. And all along, the Lord had been leading Paul and his companions by closing some doors on the one hand and opening other doors or windows on the, on the other. Uh, when Stacy and I moved back to Austin to, uh, to church plant, to help plant Wayside, um, we had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a two-month-old. <laughs> if you can imagine that, uh, one of the big needs for us was childcare. We needed to find a preschool, and we came in early January. So we came right before the, the, the sort of the spring semesters that all these preschools were starting. And we probably visited and talked to the directors of like a dozen preschools. Um, I mean, we were taking suggestions from everywhere we could, but none of them, some of them would have a spot for our four-year-old, but not a spot for our two-year-old. Some would have a spot for our two-year-old, but not a spot for our four-year-old. 
Okay, and we really got discouraged at a point because we're like, Austin, Texas does not have a childcare facility for both of our kids. And we didn't want to split them up. As you guys can imagine, that's complex and problematic. And so after looking at all these, I forgot who it was, but we finally were told about a program. And we live just down the street here. We were told about a program at, uh, I was just telling Peter this, at Great Hills Baptist Church, which was like the closest a childcare facility could possibly be to our house. And it was a Christian program. It was called the OLC, o- Ochester Learning Center over there. And they gloriously had spots for both of our kids. And we talked to the director, Teresa, super sweet. And we, we put our kids in there for that semester. And, and come to find out, Stacy was always the one who would take them and drop them off. She immediately meets these fantastic women there. She meets Amanda. She meets Debbie, uh, at least in a, uh, a little bit. I think she saw you picking up kids and stuff. She met Stephanie Caruso. Uh, she met, uh, uh, who else? Uh, Jeannie. It was the Yens. She met Jeannie as well. And so we, we all thought, oh, these, these amazing Christian women that, that you're meeting. And we thought, well, if we're going to start a church, we want to start a church with them. So we're like, invite them to a vision dinner. We'll cast the vision for what we feel like God's put in our heart. And that's when they were like, uh, we all are in the same small group already. <laughs> you didn't know that, but why don't you all just come to our missional community group? And so they invited us, and that's where we met uh, the Hamiltons. That's where we met uh, uh, the Browns, the Logerings, the Morrises. Uh, That's also where we first heard about John and Lauren Cartwright and started praying for them. And so all of that came from finally getting this open door at the Ochester Learning Center. And and really after going through a lot of closed doors. Um, And like Paul, we experienced those closed doors. And it was frustrating until we were so ready in our hearts to spring forward and walk through whatever open door God laid in front of us. And he did and we did. And that was the one we were meant to walk through. And so think about your own life this morning. Are you facing a closed door or even a series of closed doors? And you could contextualize this. You could apply this however you want. It could be jobs. It could be you just keep, you know, getting the interviews and and nothing, it fizzles, you know. Or uh, it could be you're trying to find a house in this crazy Austin housing market and you want to live in a certain place, but there's just no houses coming on the market over there or they're falling through or someone's putting in a better offer. Guys, in all of those closed door situations... Um, we can trust that the Lord's involved in that. And maybe it feels like you're being steered away from certain people. Maybe you keep wanting to, you know, catch back up with that old friend, or you keep wanting to hang out with that neighbor, but it just never seems like it can happen. We tend to feel guilty about that, like, oh man, I'm just not making time. But it might just be that that's a closed door relationally for, for now, right now in your life, and in their life as well. And maybe God wants you to spend your time with someone else instead of that person. Um, or maybe it's a place Time and time again, you just, God steers you away from it. But it's times like these that we need to stop striving and acknowledge our Lord, right? These are the times where we go, it just isn't working out. I'm so discouraged, right? But that's exactly when we need to lean into our relationship with Christ. We need to to lean into our relationship with the Holy Spirit as he directs us and be sensitive and trust that he's in this with us. And when we pray for direction in these situations, these closed door situations, We can acknowledge our limited perspective alongside God's infinite wisdom. Isn't that a glorious thing? To to just just be able to admit, like, I really don't know what's best for me. Like, none of us do, right? We really don't know what God's perfect plan is for our life. He hasn't handed us the blueprint, and we made our edits, you know, to correct where he, you know, 
Uh, we really don't know what's best for us, but God does. He is infinitely wise and good and loving and gracious, and we can trust him with his plan for our life. So pray for sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Pray for that spiritual sensitivity because the Holy Spirit may very well be taking you in a direction you could have never anticipated or expected. I mean, I never thought I'd be moving back to Austin and planning a church or, or whatever. I mean, you guys have done this too with career changes and all sorts of things. Sometimes you just have no idea what's on, over the horizon, but God does and you can trust him in it, okay? All right, that leads to our final question. Where might the Lord lead us? Where might the Lord lead us? So as we consider our temporary destinations in this life, because I don't want you to miss that, we don't have any final destinations. Every, every destination we arrive at in this life it is a way station on the way to our final destination, which is resurrection glory in the kingdom of God for the rest of eternity, okay? So we have to think about this life as it is, which is a temporal situation. It is a, a, a constant series of changes, okay, and, and different destinations that we're staying at at different amounts of time, but things are changing, all right? So as we consider these temporary destinations, we can think about the Lord's intentionality in terms of contacts and conflicts. Contacts and conflicts. Let's look at those. The Lord is always leading us to certain contacts. Now, I, what I mean by that is people, making contact with certain people, establishing certain relationships. The Lord is always bringing his people into relational contexts with other people, into relationships. And these are the people that we're going to meet along our path. Some of them are going to be total strangers at a bus stop. Some of them are going to be the pe person in the cubicle next to us for 15 years. Some of them are going to be friends, family, extended family, neighbors, you name it. But the Lord is in the business of bringing his people to other people, people that need to hear the hope that we have in Christ. All right. And in today's passage, Paul meets three people in particular. He meets other people as well. But I want to look at Luke, Lydia, and the lost jailer. Luke, Lydia, and the lost jailer. So look back with me at verse 10 and just think in terms of destination because you're going to have to apply this to your life. So if the destination isn't so much a place as it is people, how could you apply this? Let's look at Paul's life. Look back at verse 10. This is so key. It says, when he had seen the vision, that is Paul, and remember who's writing this, Luke, the good doctor, all right? Luke the inspired author of the book of Acts is writing this narrative account of Paul. Look what happens. When he, Paul, had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, to the Macedonians. Did you catch that? Here we see the author, Luke, is switching from the third person plural pronoun, them, and they, to we. It's the first person now. He's including himself in this apostolic band with Paul. And, and most scholars agree that, that this is him saying, now I'm there. And, and there's periods throughout the rest of Acts where sometimes he's there and it's we, and sometimes he's not and it's they. And that seems to be the inspired author Luke, the good doctor, saying, this is where I picked up with, with the apostolic band with Paul. So if, 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 uh, if Paul had gone to Asia or Bithynia, to these wonderful, strategic, seeming like great opportunities at the time, folks, he would have missed meeting the good Dr. Luke in Troas, of all places, who had become one of his most trusted traveling companions and friends and brothers in Christ. Do you understand? The we picks up in Troas. 
this sort of dead end on the end of the Asian continent. But that's probably where he met Luke. And he would have never known that probably beforehand if he hadn't been sensitive to the Spirit and following the leadership of the Lord. Um, So now let's look at what happens in Philippi. So they, they pick up Luke, they go to Philippi in Macedonia, and let's look at verses 13 and 15. It says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Uh, It says in 14, a woman named Lydia was listening. That is, she's listening to what Paul's saying. And assuredly, he's sharing the gospel that Christ had died for their sins and rose again. And he was probably, if they were Jewish, he was probably unpacking uh, the Hebrew scriptures and how how Jesus Christ fulfilled them. So she's listening to all this, okay? And it says... um, Uh, Where is it? 14. She was listening. Uh, She was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira and a worshiper of God. And now look at this next line. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Wasn't that Paul was such a great, you know, convincer of people or a great uh, intellectual debater or something like this? The Lord, the Holy Spirit, went to work in her heart, opening her heart to respond in belief to the gospel. Okay. Now in verse 15, it says, Now when she and her household had been baptized, that's what you do when you trust in Christ, you get baptized. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, uh, basically she's saying, you, you know, yes, you, you, you will find me to be faithful to the Lord, then come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So again, we see the Lord leading Paul to a particular place Yes, geographically speaking, it is a location, but it's not ultimately about the location. It's about the particular people that he was going to meet there. And at this Riverside prayer gathering, Paul meets this this religious, spiritually inclined, successful businesswoman named Lydia. And after the Lord opens her heart to believe the gospel, she would end up becoming a pillar in the first church plant on the European continent in Philippi, Macedonia. Next, the Lord leads Paul from from this place of prayer to a place of persecution to meet a lost jailer. Can we meet people in the midst of pain and suffering and conflict? Yeah, you bet. And that leads to our next point about the Lord's leading, which is this is not easy to swallow. I'll give you the, the, the warning here. This is not easy to swallow. The Lord leads us through certain conflicts. If you are following the Lord, Is it possible that he could lead you through conflict, suffering, pain, loss, grief? Yes. And we see this all throughout Scripture, but it's readily apparent in verses 16 through 24. So I want to read those quickly. It says, starting verse 16, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, Luke's with them, a slave woman who had a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. I can't get into that, but this might not be her glorifying God. This could be a very confusing thing that she's saying in a a polytheistic, pluralistic, Greco-Roman context that might have been doing uh, more... um, harm to the the gospel than help. 
And I'll just leave it there. But, but anyway, now she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed, and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was suddenly gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men, Jews as they are, talking about Paul and Silas, are causing our city trouble. And they are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or to practice since we are Romans. Now, we saw what the original problem was. They lost money. They lost profits. But they, they, they level these accusations, okay? And then it says in 22, the crowd there in Philippi joined in an attack against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks, which were not comfortable pieces of wood between your legs. Um, Now, Martin's going to cover some of this next week, so I'm not going to camp out here very long. But I I just want to point out that here we see Christian persecution resulting initially from what? from economic disturbance, from loss of profits, leading those people who lost profits, leading to political pressure to persecute the Christians involved. The owners of this slave girl, they they could care less about her value and dignity as a human being, right? They just wanted their profits. And so they accuse Paul and Silas of what? They don't say, hey, we lost profits. No, they say that these men are causing our city trouble, and proclaiming customs that are not lawful for Romans to accept or practice. So there's a reason they're leveling these particular accusations, because the local magistrates are in charge of keeping the peace, and if the city's in an uproar, if there's mobs and stuff causing all sorts of problems, then they have to do something about it. Furthermore, they're a Roman colony, and they pride themselves on being very Roman, and so to say that we're Romans and they're messing up our way of life is a pretty serious charge i.e., they're telling people not to worship Caesar as God. They're telling people to worship this Jesus character that they keep talking about, okay? So they seem to understand. Here's what's key. These owners who wanted to get at Paul and Silas seem to understand the potential power of Christianity to change the lives of individual Philippians and even to change the city of Philippi as a whole. They recognize just how potent the Christian faith was in that way that it might threaten, ultimately, their wealth and their way of life. Christianity might threaten their wealth and their way of life. Why did they get so upset with Jesus in Jerusalem? He was threatening their power structures, their wealth, their uh, positions of privilege, etc. And this is happening in a Greco-Roman context with his followers now. So, folks, the Lord will lead us to humble-hearted people who will accept the gospel. We've already seen that through the ministry of Wayside. There are people out there that are asking the big questions and aren't satisfied with the world's answers. There are people out there that are struggling, feeling hopeless, not feeling forgiven, not feeling like they've possessed eternal life. And we get to bring the good news of Jesus Christ that he's died for their sins, he's risen again to provide them with those very things, forgiveness, righteousness, and eternal life in him. A, res- a restored, reconciled relationship with God the Father, okay? 
And so the Lord's going to lead us to those people, but he also might lead us into conflicts with hard-hearted people who oppose the gospel and who oppose the Christian faith for what it teaches and what we believe. And Jesus was really clear that his obedient followers would face opposition. I mean, we cannot read the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus in the Gospels, and not come away with, oh man, if I'm obedient to Jesus and I'm following him, <clears throat> that's why he says, if, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Right? He didn't, he didn't uh, mince words on that. <clears throat> Ashley reminded me of this the other day. I was talking to Ashley. We were having a, a Wayside Kids meeting, uh, and she, uh, I was, before we, we got to talking, I was sharing some uh, difficult circumstances, actually a series of difficult circumstances that our family was facing, <clears throat> and she really helped, uh, helped me put it into perspective. So uh, she encourages me by pointing out, uh, and she and Will are both great at this, is just providing encouragement, pointing out how God was working in and through our family touching other people's lives, touching other people's families, sharing, hope, hopefully doing a good job sharing truth through teaching and preaching and church ministry and these different things. So she encourages me in that way. And then she says, like, of course, it makes sense that you'd be facing opposition. And I thought, man, that's a different way to look at this, is that the very fact of our obedience, and we're not perfect by any stretch, but the very fact that we're trying to be obedient through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow in the footsteps of our Lord, would be the very reason for certain aspects of spiritual opposition, both spiritually and physically manifested. And that was really encouraging to me, and it helped put a different perspective. But our church planning journey over these last seven years has been filled with the most amazing people, some of the most amazing experiences, getting, God, getting to see God work in some of the most amazing ways over these last seven years. But folks, at the same time, and y'all have been walking with us through this life, and we've been walking with y'all. So we know that y'all have had hard times. Y'all know that we've had hard times. We've faced all sorts of setbacks and sicknesses and, and traumatic experiences, loss, grief, relational conflicts, you name it. But, and and I'm, I'm not trying to, not all of those hard things, not all of those difficult circumstances were a, an immediate result of following Jesus. Some of it was our own sin that got us into difficult circumstances, and we have to own that. But folks, I do believe that at least some of that was the result of spiritual opposition. And I think you see it in the pages of Scripture, too, that if you're seeking to follow the Lord, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face spiritual warfare, as Paul talks about it. And at the end of the day, I, I have to believe, and I do, that the Lord led us to exactly where we are today and the way we got here was through those exact, it was that path that included the difficulties and the hardships and the heartaches. And he knew all along from the very beginning, everything we would face along the way, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Folks, the Lord is always leading us to points of contact with people. He's not just leading you to a job or a certain income or a certain structure called a house or a certain neighborhood geographically. He's leading us to people, and sometimes we find them right smack in the middle of conflict and chaos in this life. And sometimes that's one of the best places for us to show the power of Christ in our life. As we can, and Martin's going to talk about this, so I'll drop it. But as they see how Christ is working in our hearts to provide us with an unquenchable hope, with perseverance, even with joy in the midst of heartache and, and, and grief, um, people get to see Christ.
So next time you're facing difficulties, that could be this afternoon, that could be right now, uh, don't just assume that you took a wrong turn somewhere. Don't just assume that you, you, you missed a turn. You know, Jesus said turn left and you just kept going straight and now you're out in the weeds. All right. Now we can all get out in the weeds. Paul talks about that too. But don't just assume because it's hard you're, you're not following Jesus. Don't just assume that if you were following Jesus, everything would be puppy dogs and, you know, rainbows and unicorns, right? Following Jesus is hard. The life of discipleship is hard. We will face difficult circumstances. And don't start second-guessing the Lord's leading and thinking about how much better things would have been if you had only veered off a couple years ago to, to Asia and Ephesus, or if you had uh, missed that opportunity, but if you had only taken that opportunity to go into Bithynia, then, you know, things, as you're sitting there in prison, you know, having been beaten, going, did I hear God right? Did I interpret that vision correctly? Was that guy really Macedonian? Maybe that guy was Bithynian. I should have gone the opposite direction. Don't find yourself second-guessing the Lord on that. Our difficulties may be the very proof that we're heading in the right direction. So, folks, let's ask the Lord for spiritual sensitivity in the midst of that to see the people that he's placed along our path so that we can be a light and salt to them. And as we deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Jesus, folks, we can take heart knowing that he will always be there to shepherd us and lead us, even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we're reminded in Psalm 23. Even then he's leading us and guiding us. Even then he's good. He's still our good shepherd. And we can always fall back on the wisdom of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my all-time favorite verses in Scripture. And I would encourage you to commit it to memory. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, on your own perspective. In all your ways, in all these different ways in life, acknowledge the Lord and He will make your paths straight. And that is a promise, my friends, that you can bank on. Uh, next week, Martin is going to... I keep looking over here to see Martin. There he is. Uh, next week, Martin is going to walk us through the purpose behind Paul's imprisonment in Philippi. We don't always get to see... God doesn't always pull back the curtain and show us the, the exact purpose for why we go through hard times and suffering. We will, on, on the other side of this life, when we're glorified with Christ... Uh, we'll, we'll get a better understanding, a better perspective on our suffering. But in this case, he actually does show the purpose behind Paul's imprisonment in Philippi. And he's going to talk about that. And it's going to boil down to salvation.